The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what is going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today, we have episode 124. The short story at the end of the episode is from 25 Perfect Days plus five more. That story is 17 Soldiers. We only have, I believe, two more short stories after that to finish off the book. And then I will share 31 others. I don't think anyone has heard that yet. If you've read Morsels of Mayhem, you've checked it out. Um, but I've been holding on to the recording for a while. The guy does an awesome job with it. Uh, the same guy that did uh, Beyond Brightside. So uh, I will share that in a couple of weeks. I just hired someone to read, uh, to narrate stuff. Uh, the other story in uh, Morsels of Mayhem. And uh, so I think he's going to be sending me that today. I just happened to meet the guy yesterday. He's a Brown alumni, wrote to me, saw he was a voice actor, offered him stuff, and he's already on it. So pretty cool how that worked out. And then I just need to find someone to do the rules. Um, and I will record paying the price. I already recorded that once, but it wasn't good enough quality. So I'm going to go to a studio for that. Um, I'm also going to the studio to record TBI or CT, what the hell is wrong with me, um, and start that audiobook. So maybe in the next week or two, I want to release the audiobook at the same time as the, uh, <clears throat> the ebook and the print. In fact, maybe what I'll do is share those chapters on here. Uh, we'll go with a little nonfiction to change things up a bit. Uh, there are only 12 or 13 chapters in that one in the TBI book, and it's kind of short. So speaking of TBI book, check out the photo behind me. That is from my buddy Carl. Uh, that those photos were taken in the photo session uh, had at his house in Rhode Island. Pretty awesome. He gave me two different ones to choose from. Yesterday, I put it up on Facebook. I was asking a lot of people, got a lot of input. Um, the picture that I had originally been drawn to uh, got outvoted. And I had changed my mind by that time, too. Um, my wife and daughter liked this version a lot better. It seemed like the people that liked the top one were more into, they liked the, the chaos of it. Uh, people that liked this one that's behind me with fewer faces, um, seem to appreciate this more. And that's another one was too chaotic. So this is the one we're going with. Uh, still not sure if it's going to wrap all the way around the book. Uh, he also gave me a really cool image of the back of my head. I know, real exciting, right? Uh, but he did something, he did a cool little thing with it. Uh, so you have to check that out. I will have that designed soon. Uh, I just finalized the print copies of both paperback, paperback and hard cover of Twisted Reunion with the new cover. So at uh, the next festival, I'll be able to sell those. Those will be available online with the new covers. Uh, same goes for Untold Mayhem. The new cover, I think, is really cool. Michael Squid did both of those. Um, man, I've just been doing a lot of shit. Uh, but it's good, getting a lot of stuff done. Um, just Today, I just got back Morsels of Mayhem translated into German. Uh, I don't even want to attempt the word. I don't remember what it is. But the translation is Scary Treats. That's what she came up with for Morsels of Mayhem. And uh, so, yeah, we'll see how that goes. I uh, have to run it by a proofreader first. And now I just set the translator on to Twisted Reunion. So we're going to start having that one translated into German today. That one's going to take a while. It's about 70,000 words. 
uh, after that. Not sure which, probably Untold Mayhem. Don't know. Uh, Brightside and Beyond Brightside are already uh, translated, so that's nice. By the time I get to Germany, I'll have a nice little uh, collection of books. So what else, what else, what else? Had my last hypnosis session yesterday. That was cool. It was probably the deepest I've gone in hypnosis. Pretty powerful. Um, I know it has helped because uh, I think it was so five weeks ago I did the first session, which was based on um, my eating, my relationship with food. And it's not like I'm really overweight. I weighed at, at the time, I think I was back up to 225. That's generally the heaviest I go. Um, 215 is probably a good weight for me. 205 is generally the lightest I'll walk around. Uh, right now I'm back down to 215. So I've since, you know, in the last five weeks, I've taken off about eight pounds, not even really trying. I haven't really done a lot more exercise. Um, the main thing is just the way I'm treating food. I realize late at night when I want to go get a snack, I'm like, nah, I really don't. Um, and I just make that decision. Like, no, I think I'd feel better without it. I don't need this. It's not going to make me feel good. So why do I want to have it? Like, I, so it's, it's rewiring that old message. The old message used to be like, Hey, you deserve this. You've done great all day. This is your reward, whatever you had a stressful day, whatever, whatever the message was, but it was like, it was like a bonus to get this snack, to get this, whatever popcorn or ice cream or whatever it might be. Um, well, now I don't have that. I, I make the right decision. I'm like, no, this isn't going to make me feel good. Why am I doing this? I, I make good decisions. I don't want to do this to myself, so I'm not going to do it. And that's generally when I'm high, too. I, I, um, so for me to be able to have that kind of control, it really lets me know, like, okay, that that new thought is in there. Um, the way I'm handling it is awesome. It feels like it's going to be a permanent thing. Uh, used to feel like I would be penalizing myself. Now it just feels like, no, I'm doing the right thing. This is how it should be. This is all good. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty awesome. A couple of my buddies are doing sessions with uh, Alexandra now. So I'm waiting to talk to them, see what kind of results they have. Hopefully they benefit from it as well. So that was a very cool thing that came about. Um, what else is happening? Uh, well, yesterday's session ties into what I talked about last week uh, with productivity. Uh, I think I talked about it on the podcast. I know I wrote about it in the newsletter, but I have, I've really struggled with being, you know, too focused on being productive, you know, the Western mindset of having a go, 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 go. Um, I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to get shit done. I want to write my stories. I want to work on my different things when I can't, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes for me to justify you know going on an hour-long walk in the morning stretching or whatever or hard just by going in the sauna or playing guitar or even relaxing at night and playing video games or whatever it might be because in the back of my head I'm like well i want to do this i want to do that i want to do that i want to do that so that can be rough so that was one of the things we worked on in hypnosis is just really getting to look at you know these different things as a type of work uh in my tbi book uh you know, Joey House made a really good point of changing my perspective. You know, instead of looking at breathing and meditation as a waste of time of doing nothing, it's like, well, it is work. You are benefiting from it. You are getting into a better zone. You're going to get into a better flow state. And so you're going to work less. And so, and the same thing, whether it's, you know, exercising my body or rehabbing or whatever it is, taking a break, like those are just different forms of work. I'm working on myself. And honestly, when it comes down to it, like life's too short to fucking be too worried about work. Whether I publish one more book or 20 more books, like 
it really doesn't matter. Once you're dead, you're dead and whatever. So I don't know. I'm just trying to do what feels good, what I enjoy. Um, right now, I'm going over the final bits of trying to die the Wizard's Tower. Sage did an incredible job with it. Um, we need to get the cover finished up. He did the artwork for it, too. He's a talented artist. He's the one who did my one of my tattoos. Uh, he did that tattoo a long time ago. Um, so that's really cool that we have that book coming out. We've He went over all of my notes. Now I'm going back through it for a final read-through. Uh, we'll, whatever I catch, we'll talk about. Uh, he's going to start recording the audiobook because I told him, you know, it's clean enough now to where the audiobook recording should be awesome. I'm okay with it being a little bit different from the print. Um, and by reading it out loud, by recording it, he's probably going to make some changes in the print book anyhow. Uh, it's when we really take our time and we're really trying to tell a story, saying it out loud, that's when we notice all the things like, eh, that didn't really sound good there. You know, a reader's going to get caught up on that word or that word. Like if I'm the person who wrote the book and it doesn't seem right to me, then the reader's not going to go right over it either. So there's going to be a little bump in the road. Anytime that happens, that takes the reader out of it. It makes them realize that they're reading something or they're hearing something um, and they're not part of the story. So we want to knock out those as much as possible. But yeah, so that's exciting. I think I'm on chapter five right now. There's like 20 or so chapters and then I have to go through the death scenes, but it's pretty quick because it's all clean. Um, in addition to that, I've been working on trying to die in the Old West and that one's pretty cool. Just redid the first two scenes plus um, the first three death scenes and they're pretty clean already. So what I'm going to do, because I'm making some significant changes, I'll send them to John before I go too in depth on you know, trying to really fine tune them. And then he could add his thoughts if he likes it. If, you know, he, if he adds stuff, that's great. So just make it that much easier for me. And so when I get it all back from him, it's just a quick little thing and we'll have that book done. That one will be out next year. Uh, just talked with Steve Montgomery about uh, Super High. He's doing, he's back on it. Um, we had, you know, a pretty good break. But again, that break wasn't bad because I've been overwhelmed with so many other things. Uh, with... Try not to die in on the Rhine. Uh, we had a good conversation. Uh, my co-author Nick, who's in Germany, we talk every Saturday. Uh, sometimes he'll sit. He already sent me the first chapter this past week, and we talked about it. And we talked about how we will move forward. Originally, we were thinking he was in me a chapter. I would start to translate it and write it in English. But then we realized it's going to be way more effective just to have these weekly talks. He will send me it as he goes along, but we'll get through the entire book that way. Then because of all everything I've talked about, he'll make go through it again, another pass. And then I will start jumping on it and, you know, get it translated and uh, write it in English. So that's pretty cool because that means it's probably, I would guess, a year away at least. But that's cool because I have so many other books. Um, I just signed a contract with Evan. From the Horror Writers Association in San Diego, um, really talented author. He's going to do a Trying to Die Dark Fantasy, uh, signed a contract for that. Uh, Caitlin, another HWA member, is doing the Trying Not to Die in Canada. Uh, that will be another one where I barely, you know, I'm probably not going to have to have much input. We we meet every once in a while to talk about it, but she's a very talented author, and so she'll just be knocking that out. And uh, when I get it, I'll be able to play around with it, give her back to her, and we'll just go back and forth a couple times, and then. We have a book so i'm pretty pumped about that series i think it's pretty exciting stuff um 
at the very least, like in five to six years, I'll have 20 books in that series. I think they'll be doing incredibly well. And so I am pumped. That's where a lot of my focus is right now. Oh, man. Can you tell that uh, I'm trying to hurry? I already recorded this once today. And that sucked because there was so much of an echo on this that I had. I used a different mic and it was terrible. So hopefully this one's going to sound good because I'm not recording this shit again. And I still need to put out a uh, newsletter. And I'm missing out on Fortnite time. My son is home from school because he's quarantined uh, because one of his good buddies at school um, got COVID. The whole family did. Uh, luckily, his buddy is doing okay already. Uh, Jake is not sick yet. Uh, hopefully, he won't be. Uh, we haven't had him tested yet, uh, but he'll get tested, I think, on Monday. So, dealing with that, uh, just going to hang out. This should be a lot of Fortnite this week and a lot of uh, playing board games and that kind of stuff. And some work. Not too much, though. All right, guys. I have my hands full. I need to go get some stuff done. I need to send off this newsletter. I hope you guys have an incredible week. I will leave you with this short story from 25 Perfect Days plus five more. And forgot to mention, Carl is the one who also did this cover. So the guy who, Carl Dominey from Dominey Photography, who did the photo behind me for the TBI book, he also did the cover for 25 Perfect Days. He's done a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, in case he's listening, I got to say good stuff about him. In fact, if his son is listening, Luca, I uh, just want to say, Shout out to him too. Awesome kid. One of Jake's buddies. So miss those guys. Anyhow, I'm out of here. Here is 17 soldiers from 25 perfect days. Hope you guys have an incredible week and I will talk to you later. Peace. Seventeen soldiers. August 1st, 2072. Cassie said goodbye to her mother and headed down the main tunnel. It was completely dark after the first turn. Her hands fumbled along the cold concrete until she saw the sliver of sunlight, shining under the hide she draped over the entrance to keep it hidden. The pail of rock sat beside the curtain, proof Cassie hadn't emptied her last run before going to sleep. She'd carried in forty pails to bury Charlie, they couldn't risk doing it outside. If the reports were true, controllers were close. Cassie placed her ear to the crack and counted to twenty. Didn't hear a sound. She slipped out into the light and knelt behind the bushes, waited while her eyes adjusted. There was no one around but the birds chirping down the mountain. Quietly, so Vanessa didn't hear, Cassie took the pail and scattered the rocks just inside the entrance. The outside of the hides were covered with dirt and branches. Cassie smoothed them until they blended in with the mountainside, then started down the trail. Her stomach grumbled because she hadn't finished her breakfast, save the last bits inside her pockets. The blue sky above ran into the wall of gray filth, hiding the metropolis below. Cassie nearly tripped, told herself to stay focused. It was time to prove she could take care of her mother. It'd been five days since the bearded man ran up this trail. His encampment had been overrun. Controllers came hard and fast, obliterated almost everything and everyone. The man said they captured a few leaders for questioning. After hearing this, Justin ordered the evacuation. 
Vanessa had to stay behind because of the deep gash on her thigh, but Justin didn't want a 13-year-old girl left here. His son, Ben, said he'd stay with Cassie. Over the next two days, while everyone prepared for the exodus, Ben taught her the rules of the forest, gave her the skills to keep her and her mother alive. Cassie slipped on her spider silk gloves, flexed her fingers, and let the strange, translucent material adjust to her hand. The gloves were so light she barely felt them on her skin. She wondered if maybe Charlie thought he put them on, if that's why they were still in his back pocket when she found him face down, most of his legs chewed to the bone, the fatal bite of a viper coon across his palm. It took a few minutes to get down to the valley where the critters roamed. Cassie took out her bare-bone knife. The blade was made of the same material as the gloves, nearly indestructible and undetectable, able to slice through almost anything. Ben made her promise she'd give it back to him when she returned to the group. Cassie crept to the edge of the clearing and started digging until she hit wood. She pulled out the box, opened it, saw the rope and a stick. Staying close to the tree, Cassie set the trap, used her last piece of breakfast jerky as bait. With rope in one hand and the knife in the other, Cassie backed up and hid behind a large oak. The forest was quiet, Cassie's breathing louder than anything. She remembered Ben's words and melted into the tree, stilled her body. If she didn't move, she wouldn't be attacked. All she had to do was wait, and wait, and wait, until she finally heard the soft thumps across the grass. A giant white rabbit stopped at the raised end of the box, turned its head side to side, its blood-red nose twitching up and down. The rabbit put its head to the grass and reached out, its paw still inches from the jerky. The rabbit pulled back and glanced right, then left, paused when its black eyes got to Cassie. Cassie held perfectly still, told herself it was a regular rabbit. It was only going to run, but even if it did attack, she was ready. The rabbit turned back to the box and disappeared inside. Cassie yanked the rope and the box fell, thumped back and forth as the rabbit bucked. Cassie walked over, dropped her knee on the box, and prayed the sides would hold up to the kicks. A savage gnawing came from the front of the box. No question it was a white widow, same kind that bit her mother. Ben had explained the name was all wrong, how the white widows had been spliced with a recluse. Human flesh disintegrated the second it came in contact with the venom. That's why they'd cut the fist-sized chunk out of Vanessa's leg. The box thumped harder, teeth scraping wood. Cassie feared the rabbit would break through before it tired. But fear wasn't going to help now. She straddled the box, raised the back end, and drove the knife inside, striking meat. The rabbit hissed and bit at the blade. Cassie pulled back and stabbed again. The rabbit kept fighting, but Cassie couldn't wait. The widow's self-destruct gene releasing venom with any major wound. She got off the box and reached inside, took hold of the rabbit's bloody throat, and slammed it to the grass. The widow's back legs flailed as it snapped in Cassie's hand. 
The glove prevented the teeth from penetrating, but not the pain. Cassie laid the knife across its throat and pressed down hard, the severed head hanging by a thin strip of furry skin. Cassie held the rabbit by its rear legs, its polluted blood pouring onto the grass. Once drained, she buried the trap and headed to the stream. She cleaned the rabbit in the water. A low rumble filled the sky. Cassie didn't see anything but knew it was a jetpack. She grabbed the rabbit, hurried along the stream until she reached the edge of the lake. She hid and saw eighteen men in black landing. They spread out in each direction, pulsing plasma rifles in their hands. But only one filled her with dread. A controlling force agent headed down the path that led to their cave. Cassie dropped the White Widow, stayed low, crept along the trail, and scrambled up the mountain. The agent reached the switchback just below the entrance. There was no one to yell for. No Brandon or Willie hiding with their AKs. Cassie pressed herself against the pine tree and slowed her breathing. The agent had on standard black armor, visor, jetpack, and gun. The tiny bulges of flesh poking out around his filtration mask were the only hints he was human. His black boots crunched the trail as the soft sea-green light of his rifle's life scanner fanned through the trees. Cassie was half the agent's size, but that didn't matter. Her father proved that when he took out Colonel Hayden and all the others, her father gave his life for the revolution. Cody Bradford was a hero to the cause. Ben had told her all agents had amplifiers, to never assume otherwise. Cassie slowly bent forward and picked up a rock the size of a large pine cone. With her back against the tree, Cassie counted off each footstep. The agent appeared on the other side of the tree, and Cassie slammed the rock into his cheek. He crumpled to the ground with a loud oomph. Cassie kicked the rifle away from his hand and pulled her knife. He wasn't moving, except for the soft rise and fall of his back. She knew what she was supposed to do, but she'd never used the knife on a person before. Ben told her hesitation would get her killed. Agents were the enemy. They were predators. Cassie thought of the millions who died at their hands. She dropped on the agent's back and plunged the knife into his neck. A warm spray pelted her forearm. Blood covered the leaves and pooled in the dirt, a sign that'd be hard to cover. Her only hope was to get a head start, so Cassie flipped the agent to the edge of the trail. She eyed the agent's pockets and started unbuckling his utility belt. Then a muffled voice came from his helmet. Check in, 447. I repeat, check in. Cassie pushed the body and sent it tumbling down the side of the mountain. In the distance, one jetpack came to life, then another. Cassie picked up the rifle and ran. After rounding the bin, Cassie scrambled behind the bushes and under the hides, scattered rocks into the darkness. The tunnel became pitch black, no light coming from the living area up ahead. Cassie felt her thumping heart and slowed to a walk. She used the life scanner to see where she was going. 
Cassie paused outside the open door to the living area. With her finger on the trigger, she stepped to the side and cleared the left half of the room. Nothing but empty tables and desks, the mound of rocks covering Charlie's body, the tunnels to bedrooms behind it. Cassie moved to the other side of the door, and a shadow flashed in front of her. She screamed when something slit her cheek. Oh God, Cassie? The blood covered her fingers. The cut didn't feel deep. Mom? The kerosene lamp turned on. Vanessa's face was white, the bandage around her thigh a deep red. What were you thinking? I could have killed you. Cassie held up the rifle, fought through the pain. We have to go. Now. Vanessa looked at the gun, backed into the pile of blankets against the wall. You didn't. We have to go, Mom. Now. A blinking red light appeared at the top of the rifle. They must have found the agent. Now they were tracking the gun. Vanessa touched her daughter's cheek. You have to leave. No, we can make it. I only heard two jets. Look at me, Cassie. I can't go with you. Cassie's chin quivered. Yes, you can. Now come on. Cassie reached for her mother's arm, but Vanessa pushed her off, lost balance, fell against the wall. Cassie started for her, but Vanessa pointed at the far tunnel and told her to go. I don't even know where they are. It doesn't matter. The group's no longer safe. Someone talked. You don't know that. How do you think they found us? Vanessa straightened her back. Go back to San Angeles. The city is swarming with people. You'll find ones like us. No. Vanessa took the rifle from Cassie. Head down the mountain toward the ocean. Stick to the shadows. Move at night. I want to stay with you. Go to the book pile, Vanessa said. Bring it to me. Cassie did as she was told. The book was worn. The cover faded. We the living. You carry your father's story. Share it with everyone who will listen. Vanessa opened a metal container, pulled out the forty-five. There are two boxes of ammo. Be smart. Cassie tried to say something, but Vanessa told her to wait as she undid her necklace, the set of silver wedding rings dangling at the bottom. Don't let this die here. The rush of a jetpack descending came down the main tunnel. Vanessa shook her head. If they find you, run. If they trap you, fight. But never let them take you. Always save a bullet. Vanessa kissed the tear on her daughter's cheek and pushed her toward the exit. The sound of heavy boots started down the tunnel. Vanessa raised the rifle, took a deep breath, then stepped into the passage. The pulsing electric bursts filled Cassie's ears. Run, Vanessa whispered. Run. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network. 